0: Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our series of exclusive interviews with business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. My name is Mary Appleton and I'm Changeboard's Chief Editor. You can subscribe to this podcast and listen to all of our previous episodes by visiting iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher. Just search Changeboard Future Talent Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Lord Chris Holmes, Who is Great Britain's most successful Paralympic swimmer, winning a total of nine golds, five silvers, and a bronze? And he's the only British Paralympic swimmer to win six gold medals at a single Games. Chris was also Director of Paralympic Integration, responsible for the organisation of the 2012 Paralympic Games in London. In Parliament, Chris is a member of the Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence and has been a member of committees on digital skills social mobility and financial exclusion. He'll be speaking at the Changeboard Future Talent Conference in March on insights into the economic, ethical and social implications of advances in artificial intelligence. At 14 years of age, Chris lost his sight overnight. In this podcast, he tells me how this life-changing moment helped him identify his own purpose. We also discuss self-determination, self-belief and what it takes to achieve your dreams. We talk about the fourth industrial revolution too and why it has the potential to unleash huge potential across society but also why we must ensure it is inclusive to enable opportunity for all. So Chris, lovely to have you with us here today. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. You have become quite a friend of Changeboard over the years.
1: Absolutely. I really love not just the energy of the conference, but all the guys behind the scenes to put on an event of that scale without using an external company
0: is nothing short of sensational. Thank you. Well, it's been great to have you speak at our conferences over the years. And I think in the 2016 conference, when you spoke about your journey, it was a hugely, hugely powerful moment that really, really resonated with the audience. For the benefit of those listeners who who maybe weren't at that conference and who aren't familiar with your story, can you just tell us a little bit about, about where you grew up and, and the, the events that happened to you during your life, in your C- early years?
1: Certainly. And it was a real joy to present at the 2016 conference at Sadler's Wells, the energy in the room. And the real sense that everybody was there to participate, not just to sit back, but to be part of the event, I think is the real unique flavor that runs through the whole of future talent conferences. I talked about my personal journey. I grew up in the West Midlands, very working class town, went to the local comprehensive school, very, Very regular sort of upbringing, really. The same curriculum that had been taught since the 1960s. Very practical woodwork, metalwork, technical drawing. And I could never imagine that when I was 14, I went to bed one night and when I woke up, I couldn't see. Um, Completely out of the blue. And I had to relearn everything at that point. It was really beginning again having to learn how to read how to write how to get about and in many ways there could have been no more profound change in my life and in many ways many incredibly positive ways that shaped what I learned in that moment in that sharp stark moment that shaped so much of what's happened since
0: and you had some very distinct ambitions didn't you
1: for sure when from being very small i wanted to try and do a levels wanted to try and get to cambridge university you know, again no mean feat from a sort of working class town a comprehensive school where people didn't really go yeah. to university yeah. and i wanted to see if i could represent great britain at sport i remember when i was 8 the moscow olympics were on tv Duncan Goodhue won the gold medal in the 100 metres breaststroke. I thought, that looks pretty cool. I wonder how far I could get in my sport. And so I had those three dreams, three goals, if you will, from being very young. And when I lost my sight, everything changed. And yet nothing changed in terms of those dreams. I'd lost my sight unexpectedly. But those dreams still felt the same. So it very much became a mission of, can I still achieve any, never mind all of them? What will I have to do differently? Who will I have to get around me? How will I have to lead on this? What team will I have to build around me to just get back on my feet? Never mind back in the swimming pool. Are any of them possible? Are all of them possible?
0: Yeah, because it could have been very easy to say, do you know what? I've lost my sight. There's no way I could achieve those ambitions now
1: very easy and in many ways when I look back I look upon that 14 year old and think it's definitely somebody else it, it can't <laughs> be it can't be me but being 14 it's such an extraordinary time of change anyway so it's a terrible mm. time for something mm. like this to happen but by the same token you're so teenager that you just carry on and I just had this belief from deep inside that it must still be possible to certainly not to know that I could achieve any of them, but it must still be possible to do everything to at least try to achieve one, two, maybe all three of them.
0: And you did. I did
1: (laughs) Uh, in short. (laughs) Yeah. um, Clearly. Cambridge University admissions were having an off day when I managed to uh, slip under the radar. There, oh, they let me in as well. Wow, well, <laughs> it, just just to show that even the most well-oiled machine can have a creaky day. <laughs> but no, it, the the things I learnt post losing my sight, mm. the things I learnt through sport, that sense of self-determination, self-belief, self-worth hard work, all these things, grit, everything which can enable you to achieve stuff, to do A-levels, to get to Cambridge and to get onto the Great Britain swimming team. None of it easy, but the fact of it being not easy is a positive in itself as well because nothing of any value can just be easily grasped.
0: And and how did you feel when you suddenly realised? You know, oh, I've, I've managed to get my A levels. I've managed to go to Cambridge, and uh, and I've managed to become Britain's most successful Paralympic swimmer.
1: Bemused, <laughs> um, I certainly go through the whole of my life so far and feel it regularly—a sense that at any moment someone is going to tap me on the shoulder and say the social experiment's over now get back to the factory and I'll take that when it happens it'll be fair enough I I have a a complete sense of surprise delight wonderment bemusement that I've been so not lucky I've been so incredibly fortunate to achieve what i've been fortunate enough to achieve with a levels university great britain swimming team becoming a lawyer now being in in the house of lords Mm -hmm. and it's so much down to all the people i've been lucky enough to work alongside who've helped who've supported who've enabled who who've empowered no such thing as individual achievement there's only shared success
0: and you've talked about you know a lot of a lot of your life seemed to seems to have been characterized by kind of overcoming hurdles um, after you retired from sport, you then went on to be part of the team to win the London two thousand and twelve Olympics and Paralympic Games, which in itself had some challenges
1: for sure when we started the bid in 2002 yeah nobody gave us a chance it was Paris Paris were going to have the games in 2012 Mm. we had a completely negative British press we had a largely skeptical understandably perhaps but a largely skeptical British public yeah people were thinking why would we waste time and money on putting together a bid but a small team of us believed that maybe just maybe with the right vision, mission, strategy and plan, sticking to it, making it truly British, not trying to copy a previous games, not trying to do something which isn't authentically British and deliverable. If we stuck to that vision and mission, maybe, just maybe we could win that bid in 2005. Again, no guarantees, no certainties at all but maybe just maybe and it was worth very much at that stage committing to and getting after that possibility
0: absolutely and we ended up with it and it was a fantastic fantastic games
1: extraordinary and seven we we won the bid but then a seven year planning journey mm. to mm. build <clears throat> from a team of 50 through to a team of 8,000 full-time, 70,000 volunteer, and over 100,000 contractors to deliver the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games Mm. in 2012. The hardest work I've ever done in my life, not just in terms of the hours and the work, but in terms of, quite rightly, feeling that emotional pressure on our shoulders, the weight of the nation's expectations, one moment in time, We couldn't say what a great Games London 2013 was. One moment the (laughs) deadlines, The most immovable of deadlines. Just after eight o'clock in the evening on the 27th of July 2012, the Olympic Games opening ceremony would begin the most immovable of deadlines. What a fabulous journey to be on and all down to the people who we hired, the people who we developed, the people who we led, the people that put on one of the greatest Olympic Games and Paralympic Games the world
0: have ever witnessed. Absolutely, and interesting, that you say, you know, it was down to that big group of people and, and 70,000 of them, of course, volunteers, were exactly that, volunteers. So not being paid for their time or their work. How did you kind of get them to come on that journey with you and really buy into the spirit of the games to be true, you know, as they were called, games makers?
1: Completely. And I remember the meeting that we had when we came up with the title of games makers, because we fundamentally understood these people... We're going to be the people that made the games in 2012. The smiling face, the beating heart of London 2012. Yeah, Because you'd be more likely to meet a volunteer than a full-time member of staff. So our attraction, our induction, our training had to be absolutely spot on. Because as you rightly say, we were having people Giving of their time for zero pounds and zero pence. How do you attract? How do you motivate? How do you lead? How do you manage 70,000 people when you're paying them not a penny? Yeah. Through having a really clear games maker strategy and basing it around four T's. The first three T's give you the operational control that you need. The fourth T gives the autonomy within that operational control to enable the bright brilliance to come through. Teach, train, test, that gives you the operational control. The fourth T, trust within that operational control, enabling people to give of themselves, to give their character, to be not prescript- prescriptive in that fourth T. Yeah. And that's why it worked, because you were not, you know, these people were in key safety roles. Mm. In no sense compromising that need for operational control, but within that, enabling their personality to come through. And that's what people felt. That's what people talked about at the time. That's what people still talk about now. The games makers, smiling faces, the beating heart of London 2012.
0: Absolutely. It's fantastic. So, how do you move on from that then? I mean, obviously that's an amazing um, time and and I guess a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So once the Games had finished, how do you move on from that? Where where did you go next?
1: It's very interesting because it had the same feel finishing London 2012 as it did every time I finished Paralympic Games as a competitor. Yeah, You go into the autumn and you realise there will be a cold, damp November, Tuesday morning. World keeps turning. Yeah. What's next? What's What's part of the plan? Not to do something necessarily aligned, but to do something where you take all of your learnings and your experience and what you've previously done and take that into the next role. Yeah. I was open-minded about what the next step, could be there are a whole series of things I was interested in, and then completely out of the blue, I got a call on my mobile phone in the June after 2012, and it was the Prime Minister asking me if I'd like to come and join the team here in the House of Lords. Yeah, I could never have imagined that that would be the case. I certainly thought it was one of my friends having a joke. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't make that point on the phone call, but incredible. Another extraordinarily fortunate opportunity to carry Mm. on so many of the themes and the threads that have run through all of my life and certainly so many of the themes and threads that we brought to life in the summer of 2012 to carry them on as part of the legislature in Parliament. An extraordinary opportunity for a working class kid from the Midlands. It's why I come every day. It's why I really want to get stuck in. It's the most welcoming place I've ever been. People from all parties welcome you. They want you to be here, get stuck in, get involved, work hard, try and make a difference and have some fun. If you do that, you're so welcome. If you don't come very much, the reverse is the case. That's exactly how it should be. So to have got involved with a whole series of themes, many of which relate to the conference and the whole purpose of change board and the whole sort of future talent movement yeah. really I've got involved with select committees on digital inclusion social mobility financial exclusion currently I'm on the select committee on artificial intelligence yes yeah. got involved in parliamentary groups on the fourth industrial revolution I vice chair of the fintech assistive tech Uh, parliamentary groups. So, so much of what I'm trying to achieve in Parliament is threaded around this sense of unleashing, empowering, enabling talent through those two most golden of threads of innovation and inclusion.
0: Okay. And you mentioned you're part of the Select Committee on Artificial Intelligence at the moment. So part of the um, theme of this year's conference, Future Talent Conference, is around the impact of the fourth industrial revolution and, and what artificial intelligence might mean for the future workforce. And a particular area that, that we're looking to explore is an idea of digital inclusion. And I know that's very aligned to your work and your beliefs. What's your opinion on making sure that you know we have technology are digital at our fingertips it's it can be used for a force for good it's really powerful how do we as a society make sure that everybody comes on that journey and and we don't end up with excluded areas of society
1: i think you make exactly the critical point that of itself all of the elements of the fourth industrial revolution be it Artificial intelligence, machine learning, internet of things, blockchain, distributive ledger, 3D printing, robotics, on and on. All of the elements of 4IR have nothing whatsoever of themselves to say about inclusion, empowerment, enablement, opportunity. They are neutral on that in the hands of the human, there is such unbelievable potential mm. to enable, to empower, to really cut through the pernicious forces of exclusion in so many where so many areas which have gone on for decades. But that's the possibility it is not the inevitability. Yeah. So it's a mission for all of us to consider, how do we ensure that everybody is empowered, included, enabled in this 4IR? Because that's the possibility. And imagine that sense of unleashing talent, which has been dormant for decades, what that could mean for our communities, for our cities, for our country a phenomenal opportunity but flip that if that isn't thoroughly understood and engaged with then there's just as much a likelihood that the fourth industrial revolution could exacerbate existing structures and patterns of exclusion yeah and if you look at those who are currently digitally excluded it's hardly surprising that they fit into the lower socio-economic groups. Older people, disabled people, massively overrepresented. That's the mission. But get it right, and it's those groups, because of decades of exclusion, it's those groups which could experience such a phenomenal bounce from the opportunity
0: And from a leadership perspective then, what kind of leadership do you think is needed to make that happen?
1: Leadership, in a sense, doesn't change. It needs to be what it always should have been and perhaps all too often wasn't. So leadership needs to feel uncertain, uncomfortable, Lonely, sound good so far. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> but otherwise, it's not leadership. Do leaders need to understand every element of what's inside the black box? No, they don't. What we need to understand is what we've always needed to understand about this stuff is it reliable? Is it safe? Is it consistent? Does it do what we believe it will do in a timely, replicable manner, all of that and more. And that's always been the case with anything when it comes on stream. It's certainly true that technology is too important to leave to the technologists. 4IR is not a matter for the IT department. It's a matter for the business. It's a matter for the board.
0: And so what would be your message to our listeners today and the delegates of the Future Talent Conference who are predominantly business leaders um, looking after the talent of many, many people within businesses? What would be your call out to them regarding this?
1: Be positive. Engage with all of the elements of 4IR. Assess. Analyze. Be prepared to move forward without full information and have the comfort and confidence to do that. This is not about making predictions or needing to have predictions. This is about analysing what's out there and making some bold, courageous but considered choices. The narrative goes something like this in terms of our people the bots are coming, our jobs are going and we're all off to hell and Mm. we don't even know if there's a handcart. I don't buy into that at all. Nothing of what I read, nothing of what I've heard from our witnesses coming every week to the select committee, none of it causes me to be anything other than rationally positive. Is this going to be transformational? Absolutely. Is it coming at pace? Yes, it is. Is it multidimensional? Of course. But the human will always be prime. We are just getting fabulously new tools. We can choose. We can decide. We can determine how we deploy them for better jobs better employment, better experiences and a better society.
0: And do you feel through the work that you're doing at the moment and what you've observed among business, um, is the appetite there for that?
1: I think there's an incredible amount of interest, an incredible amount of research. You're seeing a lot more people being brought on to senior roles with technology or digitally in their titles. Yes, yeah. That has to be a good thing. But again, to underscore the point, this will fail if it's put into the hands of the IT director. Not because Mm -hmm. he or she is in any sense a malevolent actor. It's just that this is too important and it's not an IT issue. That's just the kit. This is an issue for the business, for the board, for Exco, to understand and to understand how this can be used and deployed in the business to really drive forward. All businesses need to understand that their data business is now and what that means. Mm. But all the old truths still remain. If your data is fragmented, if it's in poor conditions, you're not likely to be able to do very much particularly with it. Garbage in, garbage out still applies. What data have you got? What would you like to do with it? How do you want to structure this stuff? What ultimately 4IR offers is the potential to enable organizations and the very thing of work to be what it always could have been What it always should have been, but all too often hasn't been. And that is that collaborative, creative, imaginative, connected endeavour when we look at a number of roles together, a number of people together, teams, all of that and more. What's not to be rationally positive about that?
0: Absolutely, yes, exciting times ahead. so, what's next on your agenda then? um you're obviously involved in a lot of different things um what's kind of you know next on your or list to do? So very much a
1: continuation of all of this stuff around for IR. Yeah. I published a report in the autumn called Distributive Ledger Technologies for Public Good, very much looking at use cases in the public sector to see how we as a nation can make the most of the potential of distributed ledgers technology dlt's uh in government departments and how that could then ripple out across the private sector so a lot more work on the elements of uh for ir both public sector and private sector pushing forward on my private members bill to prohibit unpaid internships again all around that sense of opportunity if someone's doing more than four weeks work they should be paid for it 21st century Britain the fifth largest economy on the planet doesn't seem particularly radical but currently isn't the case Mm. Um, carrying on very much around all of the themes of social mobility both in the work I do inside parliament and beyond and really looking to drive all these themes of Innovation and inclusion and what this means for individuals, how we look harder, how we look farther for the talent and how we enable people to, in many ways, massively reimagine what talent is and where they can go and find it. Because that is what will be required for any organisation and for any society if we're going to prosper and really move forward in a transformative way and there's so much talent out there which has just been untapped yeah unenabled disempowered for far too long so Mm. for everybody get involved and think what can we all do to turn that around
0: yeah and and you've come from a kind of unusual background you know to be sitting here in the house of lords today and if i may say probably a quite unusual um as a comprehensively educated individual do you think we're moving towards a more inclusive society where social mobility is much more prevalent or do you still think there's a lot of work to do around that
1: i think we are unquestionably but I think there's still a huge amount of work to do and one thing to tie these themes together so much of social mobility came from the traditional white collar jobs yeah 4IR is going to drive through so many of those white collar jobs so if that's the case it's no bad thing necessarily of itself, but we need to be really thoughtful as to what does that mean for social mobility yeah. if those opportunities are going to certainly, I don't think they'll disappear. I don't think that's the case, but certainly they'll be massively reduced because so yeah. much of it can be effectively done through particularly machine learning. Yeah. So what does that mean for people in terms of social mobility? We have, we have to really be thoughtful of that. But again, no reason not to think with these tools at our hands, no reason to think that we can't enable such tremendous opportunities and why, if we get it right, this shouldn't be unremittingly emancipatory.
0: And how do you personally keep yourself motivated and excited about changes that are happening, both in work and personal life? How do you keep kind of your energy
1: always from all the people I meet and the stories they tell and the different experiences they've had and how that all threads together the the energy that people have is just incredibly exhilarating and alongside that the stories that you hear of exclusion of lack of possibility should be the greatest driver for all of us to think how do we how do we in everything that we do in every interaction how do we determine that we are putting a pebble on the beach rather than taking one off yeah in in everything it's right there it costs nothing it's no more effort but you can just determine how am I going to conduct myself how am I going to do today how am I going to do my journey into work and start at that level and ripple that through everything costs nothing and the impact that we can all have individually and then as a collective is nothing short of extraordinary and you see it on a daily basis and that is always incredibly energizing and incredibly worth getting up for because the human head and the human heart are unbelievably extraordinary every
0: day fantastic and final question if i could ask you to sum up your hopes or ambitions for the future in a word or a sentence what would that be Included. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can hear more from Chris when he gives his insights into the economic, ethical and social implications of advances in artificial intelligence at the Changeboard Future Talent Conference on March the 22nd at the Royal Geographical Society in London. Our other speakers include Sir Lenny Henry, who will be discussing his experience of diversity in the media, Alistair Campbell on Mental Health in the Workplace and Amanda McKenzie, Chief Executive of Business in the Community, will also host a panel discussion with CEOs from Royal Mail, Boots, City and Guilds and the CIPD all around digital inclusion. Thank you for listening and we look forward to bringing you another Future Talent podcast very soon.